Okay, let's see. Uh, as we get ready to just roll up our sleeves and be diligent to present ourselves approved to God, workers uh, who do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, let's raise hands if anybody in here does not have a Bible, and we'll make sure and get Bibles out before we begin the teaching. Um, Easy, can you make sure that happens? As we begin our teaching, I want to kind of recap a little bit about where we've been in our teaching on the Sundays for the last two weeks, because it's kind of culminating in today as we celebrate the returning of the Nepal team back here into their faith family, our loved ones who we prayed for so hard and who we've missed so much, our brothers and sisters, our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents, um, welcome back home. As we take a look at, at what we had taught and, and what we were going through the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, we gathered to, together to celebrate and maybe even commemorate the sending out of our loved ones, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to Nepal. We took a closer look on that Sunday at the recording of Christ sending out of the twelve in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Um, as we began to dig into verse 1, 2, and 6, that week, two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, we learned that it describes the Lord's methods to use the unworthy, washed in the blood of the Lamb, to anoint them with power and authority, and then to send them into the world, preaching the kingdom of God and healing everywhere. We learned that it was the effectual call of Jesus upon the hearts and minds of his followers that created the desire and the obedience to go out at his command. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We learn that after the call placed by the Lord on an individual's life, he then anoints, equips, and enables them with power and authority to successfully complete the task. This power and authority was over the spiritual realm and over the physical realm. The chosen and called after the anointing were then sent out for a specific purpose. And verse 2 of chapter 9 in Luke says that he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Verse 6 says that they departed and they obeyed. As we made this teaching applicable to what Christ had done in our little church, we looked at, at the calling, the anointing, and the sending out of our team to Nepal. How the Lord has moved in the hearts and the affairs of every individual that was sent to prepare them and to prepare the way. Looking at John chapter 10, verse 1 through 5, where Christ talks about being the shepherd of his sheep, the flock. He speaks about how the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out and they follow him for they know his voice. We looked at the greatest example of all as we run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
Jesus was called to the cross from the beginning of time. He was anointed with power and authority. And then he was sent into the world to be the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world for all who would believe. Last week we took an in-depth look, last Sunday, at the glorious promise of God that must be claimed in order to be an effective servant for the kingdom of God. We realize and understand that we cannot successfully accomplish his mission to take the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation in and of our own strength. This is God's plan and must be done in the power and presence of God's spirit. The promise from the Lord's written in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 27 as the Lord says, "I will put my spirit within you." And we studied every characteristic, every attribute and every effect we could think of regarding the amazing mystery of God placing his very own holy spirit into sinful and unworthy mankind. This promise was made was only made available by Jesus and his work done at the cross. As it is he who opened the floodgates of heaven that we might be blessed with the very spirit of God living within us. So as we move towards this week's teaching in chapter 10 of Luke, Backing up a little bit into the end of chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus um, has a conversation with three different individuals who decide they want to go or are called by Christ to go. And in this group of discussions at the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus asks his followers a very pointed, hard, rubber-meets-the-road question. And this questions this. In essence, what he says, he asks them, will you choose the cross over your comfort? Will you choose the cross over your cares? Will you choose the cross over your so-called obligations? Hard questions. Difficult questions. At this As he was at this group and he was laying down the hard truth of following Christ, he does what we would think of would be unthinkable. And that out of this group that he just explained how hard it is and what he demands of a follower of Jesus Christ, he calls 70 more. Over and above the 12 that he just got done sending out, he calls 70 more. He anoints them with power and with authority, and he sends them out two by two before him. As we kind of go through um, an overview of chapter 10 to the point where we get to our text, he asks them to pray the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into his harvest. He sends them out as lambs among wolves into hostility and potential physical danger, spiritual danger also. He directs them to heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Then the Lord commissions them with these powerful words written in verse 16. 
He says, he who hears you, hears me. And he, re- he who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. With these words, Jesus empowers his servants who are faithful ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, though, with these words, Jesus also magnifies the guilt and condemnation for those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the... um, This is is the... um, Gosh, this is the the mantra that our team was sent out with to Nepal. It's a perfect picture of the calling that was placed on our Nepal team. It's a perfect picture of Christ's anointing of them. It's a perfect picture of God's calling them prior to the anointing. It's a perfect picture of God sending them and commissioning them to go forth and do his work in sharing the gospel to the nations. This is all for God's great purpose, that the gospel of of the Lord Jesus Christ would be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Let's get into our text this morning then, and our text is going to be Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 24. I'll read this text. It says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples, and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, we so rejoice in the returning of our loved ones from Nepal into their and our faith family here in this little church in Primeville, Oregon. Lord, as we, as we research the scripture to see the rejoicing that was had by the 70 that Christ had sent out and upon their return, the teaching that Christ had placed and the rejoicing that Christ had done. Lord God, I just pray that your spirit fall in this place, Lord. Transform us by the renewing of our mind. Open our eyes and our ears to hear and see that which you would speak to us, Lord. Soften our hearts, God, that we might rejoice in this scripture 
and rejoice with our loved ones. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, as we start tearing apart the text, we look at verse 17. Verse 17 reads, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. First off, as we take a look at this verse and we kind of start breaking apart the text, the first thing I've noticed is that the seventy returned. First off, they returned. Our 16 have returned. You know, I, I did a, a quick study of Paul through the book of Acts as to his home church, his faith family, like this. And you know, as he was confronted with the majesty of Jesus on the road to Damascus, as he was baptized in the Spirit at the house of Ananias, he ended up in Tarsus. And as persecution started in the city of Jerusalem um, on the Christians, there were scattering, and there were Christians that were going up north to a little town called Antioch. There was revival happening in Antioch. And so the church at Jerusalem sent up Barnabas to go up there and check it out, see what was going on. After he was rejoicing with them as um, the gospel was being shared, the gospel was being received, and people, men and women, were being saved, the first thing Barnabas did was go up into Tarsus and find Paul and bring Paul back to this little church in Antioch. That would become Paul's faith family, his home church. As he was sent out on his first missionary journey, as the Holy Spirit called him in Acts chapter 13 and said, Separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work which I have prepared for them. The little church of Antioch sent them out. They went out into Cyprus. They went up into um, Antioch, a different Antioch, Antioch and Pisidia over to Derby and Lystra and shared the gospel with everyone out there. As he came back, he checked on people. There's a lot happened, so this is a quick, short story. But guess where he came home to? He came home to his little church in Antioch. He came home to his faith family. And it's recorded he spent time there. When there was um, a decision that had to be made about circumcision within the Gentiles... And that needed to be solved. There was a council that that met in Jerusalem. Saul or Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem to take care of that meeting. James, the brother of Christ, was apparently running that meeting. But Peter was there. You guys know it. It's in Acts chapter 15. And when that was done, and the good news had come out, that that, that that rite of circumcision did not have to be passed on to the Gentile saved population. Paul came back to his little church in Antioch to show them what the deal was, to share them the glory of what's been, been decided by the Holy Spirit up in uh, uh, the, the church at Jerusalem. When he went out on his second missionary journey, and when he left Antioch, 
his home church, his faith family, he went out to check on Antioch of Pisidia, Derby and Lystra, went across through Galatia, tried to go to Ephesus, Holy Spirit wouldn't allow him to go there, went across the water over to Philippi, to Colossae, down to Berea, Thessalonica, down to Athens, over to Corinth, sharing the gospel everywhere preaching to people the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work done on the cross. And then guess where he went afterwards? He went home. He went to his home church. Acts chapter 18 records that he went home to his faith family. And he would continue to use that as his faith family until he was put in chains and hauled off to Rome. Today, our 16 have returned. And in verse 17, it says the 70 returned. Now the 70 returned with joy, it says. And, and what are the descriptions, the nine attributes that make the singular fruit of the Holy Spirit of God? Well, it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But after love, it's joy. The 70 return with joy. They were bearing forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. And they were excited. They spoke of the Lord's power and they spoke of the Lord's glory. They spoke of the power of the name of Jesus as it says, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Remember Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 as it says, And God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the power of his name. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He spoke of the power of and the dominion that Christ had and his name had over the spiritual realm. As it says, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In Colossians chapter 2, the end of verse 14 says, speaking of Christ, it says, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's the requirements that were against us. Verse 15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In verse 18, it says, And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus speaks from a position of authority and victory. In Isaiah chapter 14, Verse 12, it says this. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Jesus speaks of power and he speaks of authority. 
in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 16. It says, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. He speaks from a position of authority and victory. He speaks of Satan's subjection to the Lord. In John chapter 12, verse 31, Christ says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And in Matthew chapter 4, at the story that talks about Christ's baptism by John the Baptist, how he came up out of the water, he was baptized in the Spirit, he was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness and fasting for 40 days. At that point in time, he was tried and he was tested by Satan. And the very last temptation that he had recorded in Matthew chapter 4, Christ looks at Satan and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. And Satan leaves. Jesus speaks from a position outside and above the dominion of time. As it's spoken in verse 18 where he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Do you remember in John chapter 8? Um, starting, let's see, in verse 56 as Christ is speaking to the Pharisees. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He speaks from a position above and outside the dominion of time. Revelations, chapter 12, verse 7. Jesus reveals this to John, the apostle. John pens it down by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Let's go to verse 19. Verse 19 says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. First, Jesus says, Behold, or pay close attention. What I have to say to you now is vitally important. He says, Jesus says that he holds all authority over all creation. Remember in Matthew 28? It's recorded there towards the end of Matthew 28. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, right? 
Jesus gives authority over the physical realm. As he says, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Do you guys remember Paul when he was um, chained up on the boat heading to Rome and they got shipwrecked in Malta? Everyone was saved. Nobody got hurt. Nobody drowned. They got to the island. They got on there and the weather was bad and so they built a fire. Paul goes to grab firewood to put it in the fire and a poisonous viper comes out of the wood, bites him on the arm. And the natives think that he's going to die. He's going to puff up and die. To make it a short story, he didn't. Christ anoints with power and authority over the physical realm. Paul was anointed that day. Jesus gives authority over the spiritual realm. As we look at his commissioning of the 12 when he sent them out in Act, or sorry, Luke chapter 9, it says he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And remember back in verse 17, the 70 say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Romans chapter 16, Paul has a really cool prayer. Verse 20, as he begins this, it says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Jesus gives authority over the physical realm. He gives authority over the spiritual realm. And then at the end of verse 19, He said, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Jesus gives absolute, unconditional protection. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoy the Psalms. And Psalm 91 speaks really strongly to this truth. Let's see if I can find it. I want to read it to you guys. Psalm 91 says this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. And the Lord says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. 
I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, getting back to verse 19 of Luke chapter 10, he says, And nothing shall by any means hurt you. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking from a position spiritually above and beyond just the physical care of our bodies here on this earth. He has a bigger picture in mind. He has eternal salvation in mind. He has the care of the eternal soul in mind. That doesn't mean then that there aren't going to be Christians sent out into the world that are not martyred for their faith. It's going to happen. It doesn't mean that there aren't nations right now that are persecuting Christians as we speak. That's going to happen. But Jesus says, nothing shall by any means hurt you. As he speaks of our spiritual salvation of our soul. In John chapter 6, he backs this up in verse 39 as he says, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. John chapter 10, verse 28 says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Probably the neatest verse, right after we read that section of Satan being cast down, Verse 11 talks about how we overcame them. This is verse 11 in Revelation chapter 12. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Jesus protects. Verse 20 says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Jesus says, nevertheless, or in other words, he says, even though I've anointed you with power and authority, do not rejoice wrongly. Rather rejoice in the greater, greatest wonder of all, And that's the reality of your salvation. You see, he says, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. And he agrees, the spirits are subject to you. They proclaim this earlier on in verse 17. As it says, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. But the thing is, is he does not want the 70 who have returned, who are rejoicing, to be prideful of the anointing that was bestowed upon them. One of the descriptions of a characteristic that needs to be looked for, for example, described in 1 Timothy chapter 3 of uh, the characteristics of an elder, one of them in verse 6 says that they would not be a novice, that they would not be... Um, um, 
you know, mere, mere children in spirituality. He lest, lest they be, thus they fall by their pride. And it says, and they fall into the condemnation of the devil. See, what happened with Satan was he became prideful. Jesus wants to protect his loved sheep that they don't become prideful of authority and power that's been bestowed upon him. See, the thing, the power is God's. Jesus says, the power is mine. It's given to you for my glory and your obedience. The neat thing is he interrupts the middle of verse 20 is he says, but rather rejoice. He's saying, but rejoice. Look at this thing from an eternal perspective. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 5 says, You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, beginning of verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice. You remember David's prayer in Psalm 51, his prayer of penitence, his prayer of forgiveness for his dealings with Bathsheba and his killing of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband? In Psalm 51, in that section that he begins and says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. In that section of scripture, he says, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Jesus says in verse 20, But rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that the Lord has called you by your name and said, You are mine. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord who created you and he who formed you, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Jesus says, Rejoice. Rejoice. As we get into verse 21, it says, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. The very beginning of that, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced. Jesus rejoices. He rejoices with the 70 plus that have returned He rejoices in their sending. He rejoices in their anointing. He rejoices in the calling upon their hearts from the very beginning. He rejoices that the gospel of his cross, which is soon going to happen, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus rejoices in their salvation. He rejoices in his bride, the church. Jesus rejoices, it says in verse 21, he rejoices in the spirit. And some translations say he rejoices, or that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. 
as I was praying about that verse, and I'm just getting a mental picture of it on this joyous day of the returning, right? You see Jesus, the Son of God, rejoicing with God the Holy Spirit together, praising God the Father for the return of these 70. Just like we praise God today for the return of the 16 from Nepal. Jesus is thankful. He says, I thank you, Father. Jesus praises the Father as he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth. And then he says, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent. In other words, Jesus gives thanks for hiding these truths from the wise and the clever. And he sarcastically uses that to refer to the Jewish leaders that were around at that time. But listen to the deep truth of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Starting with verse 27, it says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing that the things that the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Jesus gives thanks for revealing these things to mere children, mere children in the faith. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 2 says, Then Jesus called the little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And in verse 10, he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So we're not necessarily just only talking about those of child age. We're talking about children in the faith. It says at the end of verse 21, it says, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. This is the Father's will. This verse proclaims the sovereignty of God over the affairs of mankind. So verse 22 says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Jesus begins in verse 22 explaining some of the hidden things in verse 21. As he says, all things are mine. Christ claims that the task of executing the divine will has been given to him by the Father. John chapter 16 says the same thing in verse 15. The beginning says, all things that the Father has are mine. He says then in verse 22, he says, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And even John the Baptist 
um, confirms that as we read in John chapter 3, verse 35, spoken from him, it says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Jesus says in verse 22, he says, no one knows. He said, no one knows. No one knows me. No one knows the Father. And in Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. So no one knows the Son. No one knows the Father. Only the Father and the Son, according to this verse 22, know each other. And only the Son reveals the Father. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says at the end of verse 22, it says, The one whom the Son wills to reveal him. And in context, he's referring to the 70. As he says back in verse 20, he says, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Verse 23 says, Then he turned to his disciples and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. Jesus tells his disciples that they are blessed, that they see. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 explains that it's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God within us that creates us the ability within us, the ability to see and understand the spiritual truths of the kingdom of God. Verse 9, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Verse 24 says, For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Jesus says there are many highly regarded people in the past that have desired to see and to hear, but they have not. First Peter talks about this very exact same thing. As in verse 1, starting with, or sorry, chapter 1, starting with verse 10. It says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. 
To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels desire to look into. Many highly regarded people have desired to hear and see, and they couldn't. But he says, yet you see, and yet you have heard, Again, back in verse 20, he says, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And yes, there's responsibilities upon us who have seen and who have heard. Back in Luke chapter 8, verse 18, it gives a hint to that. And that'll be another teaching at another time, but it says, Therefore take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from from him. As we close this morning, and I'll call the worship team on up. In conclusion, in this teaching, and today as we celebrate the 16 of our loved brothers and sisters in Christ coming back from Nepal, we rejoice we rejoiced in that we we rejoice in the return for as you 16 have poured out your hearts and your minds your bodies and your souls for the nepali people we here have poured out poured out our hearts and our souls and our bodies and our minds in intercessory prayer for you guys. We love you guys. We rejoice that we've been counted worthy to participate in God's mission to take the gospel of his son to the world. We rejoice that the Lord has called us his own and blessed us with his very spirit to accomplish his mission. And as we rejoice in the reunion of our loved ones, rest assured that Jesus is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit with us now. For those of you that are here in this room this morning that may not know Jesus Christ as Lord, verse 22 in our teaching today says that no one knows the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills. Well, here's the invitation from the Son of God, Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, Come. In Revelations 22, at the very back of the Bible, it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires to take of the water of life, let him take it freely. And here's what Jesus has waiting for you, is the great exchange. The end of 2 Corinthians, the last verse in chapter 5. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this morning, guys, we rejoice. We rejoice upon your your return. 
We rejoice in the gospel being shared out halfway around the world to a people who does not know Jesus as Christ and as Lord. And we want to welcome you guys home. So during this last song, you guys, you guys that were sent to Nepal, you guys that have just returned, and I see a number of you in here, please come forward. Stand up here. Your church wants to love on you. We want to hug on you. We want to welcome you back to your faith family. So we invite you guys, come forward, please.